We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 79 of the Biohacker Babes podcast. I'm Renee chiming in from rainy Las Vegas today, and I'm here with my sister, Lauren. What? It's raining? <laughs> We're setting records over here today. Like We went like 230 days without rain, and now it's just downpouring. It's probably a good Whoa. thing. Yeah, I'm sure you need it a little bit. It's not raining here. I'm Lauren. <laughs> I'm in New York and it's a beautiful, sunny, but very chilly day. Shocking. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you have just the babes today. We have a ton of super fun topics today. When we asked you all a few weeks ago what you wanted to hear about this season, we got so many great ideas. And yeah. some of them we were like, I don't know if we can do a full hour. So what if we do kind of like a Q&A style and just try and answer as many questions as we can in one episode. So lots of fun topics. Uh, definitely stay tuned through the whole episode. And especially if you chimed in and want to hear the answer to your question, do not miss out on that. Yeah, I love this idea. It's, it'll be a little grab bag situation. Do you want to kick us off? Yes. Okay. First question, how to eat healthy while traveling? Ooh, you get this one a lot. Yeah. Well, one, if you're traveling right now, I'm really jealous of you. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, actually, I guess it's kind of a funny question right now. It's like not not a super common thing. Um, yeah, but tell yeah. me where you're traveling and can I come with you? <laughs> exactly. And do I need a, a negative test to get there? No. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, whether you're just traveling for the day, yeah, I think you can take all these into consideration. Or even if you're just going out to a meal, if you have restaurants open where you are and you're going out to eat, like what the heck do you eat when you go out so you don't totally destroy everything you've been doing all week? So yeah. lots of good tips with that. I just want to start off maybe with a few of my go-to tips, no matter how long your trip is, is plan ahead. Know where you're going. I always look up if I'm going to a new city, new country, whatever. I look up in the area of where I'm staying, grocery stores, my go-to, you know, Whole Foods, Sprouts, whatever healthy grocery store I can find in the area. That way I know I can at least get maybe some bottled water that's in glass, a couple snacks if I run out of things, salad bar if you really need a desperate option. And then also looking up restaurants in the area. A couple of things I look for are organic restaurants and farm to table. Seems to be like a good option. You know, you can get a nice grass-fed burger, some local vegetables, you know, just to have that in mind, you know, maybe grab a reservation ahead of time. I think both of those are really important to look up in advance. Yeah, I think that's hard to find a restaurant that serves grass-fed meat. So yeah, if you I think can't it find that, it depends where you are. If you're if you're in a major city, sure. I think in Vegas and New York, it's fairly easy. But if you're somewhere in the middle of the country, I don't know. So another option, if you can't find grass-fed meat or organic, just look at how your food is cooked. Obviously, avoiding fried anything because it's not just our typical, <laughs> the extra calories we get from fried, but it's the oil that it's cooked in. It's usually cooked in a vegetable oil, which is really inflammatory, really toxic. And you're just going to pack on the calories. So something that you could make at home is going to probably triple in calories and toxicity if you're out at a restaurant. So that's an easy yeah. one. Avoid fried. I would avoid 
anything that's in a creamy sauce, uh, added dressing. You guys know this stuff. Just try to yeah. eat simple if you're right. Yeah. And you actually just sparked another idea. If wherever you're going, maybe you're getting an Airbnb or a hotel. If you can get a little kitchenette or a full kitchen, maybe you cook one meal a day. You know, breakfast is an easy one. You can just grab some eggs and something simple at the grocery store. And then, you know, you at least have a healthy meal to start your day off wherever you're staying. Cause you're yeah. right. Certain places I know you recently went to, was it North Carolina? And I know you had a hard time finding <laughs> finding good food. Yeah. So that's where the snacks yeah. can maybe be helpful as an emergency. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in a very suburban area in North Carolina and I just know when I go there now, cause I've been there many times, I have to pack the car. That's just part of my packing process. I have an entire shopping bag of food and so some of my favorites are water and a glass bottle. That's number one. Don't take plastic with you. Just stop drinking out of plastic <laughs> at any time. But Always. I love bone broth. So I, I wouldn't advocate for getting anything that's in like a single pack or wrapped in plastic or aluminum to normally have in your home. But if you're traveling, this is a great time to take advantage of that. So there's a lot of bone broth out there that comes in single serve packets. All you need to do is get a cup of hot water, which you can basically get anywhere. It's probably not going to be the cleanest water, but you can just add the bone broth to the water. I love sipping on this. So especially in the car, um, if it's going to be a long trip and I don't know, you know, what gas station or rest stop you're going to come up against, just sip on the bone broth. You could yeah, add some great. fat to it. So before you leave, maybe throw like a, a pad of butter or ghee in the bottom. And then when you pour the hot water in there, it will melt. Sip on the bone broth. Also, this is a great time to fast. If you haven't experimented with fasting, why not do it when you're traveling? It's much better to eat nothing than to eat something that is potentially offensive or toxic to your body. Right. You eat. We're going to talk a little bit more about fasting later in the episode, but we want to debunk this myth that you have to constantly be putting calories in your body. You're not going to, well, you could have blood sugar regulation issues potentially and pass out. But for most of us, we have enough energy reserves in our body that we can go extended periods of time without eating. So if your option is to fast or to eat, you know, chips from a gas station, I would probably go with the fasting. Oh, the fasting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And maybe even take advantage of doing more healthy fats, right. That are going to be more satiating. I think if you're traveling and you start to get on this carb kick, it, you're just going to be hungry all day. You're going to want to be snacking all day. You're going to be looking for more food. So I love what you said about like, put some ghee or coconut oil, something that you can just take and it's going to be super filling. It'll be so calorie dense, nutrient dense. That'll help yeah. do a semi-fast a little bit longer. Yeah. I notice that I get hungrier when I travel and that's usually because I don't sleep as optimally as possible the night before, which we know alters your leptin and ghrelin levels. So you're going to have cravings. You're going to be more hungry. So if you can fast and sort of set that expectation up for your body, that hunger is going to naturally kind of reverse itself and go down, but also you're going to curb the snacking because we've all been there. It's like you're on the airplane or in the car. It's like what's next? Nonstop. Yeah. Non-stop. Those long travel days. And one snack just makes you want to have another. So choose wisely, fill up. If you're in the car, fill up your bag. So besides bone broth, I love nut butter. I'll always throw in a green juice. If it's a a shorter trip, if I know that's going to be a little bit shorter, what else Renee? Beef jerky. I love beef jerky. Just make sure it's a quality beef in the jerky. Yeah. I love getting like, I just get like a big, like 20 pack of those beef sticks from thrive market. Thrive Market has a couple good brands because they're always going to be organic, grass-fed. Paleo Valley is another good brand there. But those just those pack so well, and it's just packed with protein. Um, the nut butter packets, like the single-serving packets, those are a good thing to have on hand. Again, like you said, with the bone broth, like I wouldn't stock up on those at home because it's a lot of plastic. Um, yeah. But for traveling, it's great. And then my other go-to is uh, the Bulletproof Collagen Bars. Yeah. They're so, so good. They're so good and so filling. So I like to take those. Those are one of the few bars that I think are really clean ingredients. And obviously they travel really well being a bar. So yeah, I think fat is definitely your friend when traveling. Yes. Fat is your friend. Fat is your friend. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe we'll go into some more fasting tips uh, later in the episode. We have have a Q and A on that. 
Yeah. Oh, I also want to say this is a great time. I'm not someone for restriction. I don't do well with restriction. It's like if someone tells me I can't do something or can't have something, I immediately want it. I think there's a lot of people that feel that way. But when you're traveling, and this is a great time to set restrictions, have your do's, have your don'ts. It really just takes the guesswork out of it because if you're tired and hungry and you get to that rest stop, if you're driving or in the airport, depending on what's open, like the the options are endless if you don't have any restrictions. So I think just set that up ahead of time. I'm not going to eat gluten. I'm not going to eat anything cooked in vegetable oil. I'm not going to eat anything out of plastic. I know that's so hard, but that's why we pack. Yes. Yeah. One other thing that I actually pack too, it's usually only good for the first day or two of the trip is a a bag or two of raw vegetables, just chopped up like celery, red bell peppers, carrots, you know, I don't know. It's just really easy. They last pretty, pretty well on the plane and traveling. And then, you know, you're getting your veggies in. Plus they're just, I know they're not super exciting just by themselves. Some people don't love that, but if you're on the plane and you just want something crunchy to munch on, you're going to eat whatever's with you. And so cucumbers, all that good stuff is really helpful. Yeah. I always have carrots in the car and Rudy, my dog loves the carrots. So it's like one for me, one for Rudy. (laughs) Just take care of everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Actually on my last cross country flight, you know, you, you have to wear the mask for the whole flight. So I had this huge bag of cucumbers and I just like munched on like, cucumbers. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm chewing 40 times every bite. It's also a good yeah. way to slow down your chewing. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, so pack ahead. Oh, and then one other thing I wanted to say about the restaurants. So if you do plan ahead, you find a restaurant or even if you're already on the trip and you're picking the restaurant, Look at the menu in advance so you know what you're going to order. Because we've all been there. You get to the restaurant, you're socializing, you're excited, you're trying to have a conversation and look at the menu at the same time. It can be a little overwhelming to be like, well, what, what's healthy on this menu? Just know what you're going to order before you get there. Plus, if you get to the restaurant hungry, you're going to be more tempted to you know, get that bread basket, maybe an extra side, maybe a dessert. Just plan ahead, say, I know I'm getting salmon and broccoli. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> so clean. <laughs> Hopefully the salmon <laughs> is a good salmon. Yeah, again, I, depends on what city you're going to, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I love that tip, but it's funny. I already do that, not because I'm trying to be healthy, because I just get excited about eating out. <laughs> like, what oh. could I possibly eat tonight? <laughs> that too, that too. Yes, you know we're Whatever. Yeah. Whatever your motivation is, just check it out ahead of time. Ahead. Yeah. yeah plus yeah. even you get more excited in advance. It's like yeah. the anticipation of getting that good food. Oh yeah. Okay. I hope that answered your questions about, uh, eating healthy while traveling. If you have any more specifics, write to us moving on. So biohacks for arthritis. we got some questions about arthritis, really common, really prevalent. And there's a lot of different ways we can go with this. So I would say there's two main categories of arthritis. There's osteoarthritis, and then there's rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune disorder. So let's look at the two different categories. So osteoarthritis is actually more of like a metabolic syndrome that may be a surprise for some of you, but osteoarthritis is probably, you know, as we get older, it's much more common, but as we eat really toxic offensive foods, we build up inflammation in the body. Also, if we are not managing our blood sugar, that's going to add to our visceral fat storage. So we're storing fat around our organs, which also creates creates inflammation. So whether it's a blood sugar imbalance, eating foods that you're sensitive to, or eating toxic foods that are (laughs) cooked in vegetable oils, whatever it is, these can all lead to inflammation. And then when we have inflammation, that's when we feel that pain in, in the joints. And that leads to arthritis, sorry, osteoarthritis. And then rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune condition. Then this really happens when our gut gets destroyed kind of the same, uh, inputs here. So eating foods that you're sensitive to eating foods that are offensive to your gut, it will produce holes in your gut. That's where the leaky gut comes from. It becomes leaky. And when your gut becomes leaky, then your body goes on attack mode because it doesn't know what's a foreign invader. So it just attacks everything. So that turns into an autoimmune condition. 
So the way to heal that really is by healing your gut lining and improving your digestion. This is a whole other protocol, which we can potentially go into in another episode. But basically, whether you have osteoarthritis or rheumatoid, our fundamental mechanisms here are inflammation. So we want to quell that inflammation. So a few hacks to get after that, Renee. Yeah, I, I would just add on to the autoimmune. I think no matter what autoimmune condition you have, there's a lot of very similar things you can do. Like you were saying, like healing the gut is number one. So rheumatoid arthritis, that's one autoimmune condition. But typically, most of the autoimmune conditions we see, it's kind of starting at the same foundation for most people. It's just where is it expressing itself? Right? Is yeah. it in is it in the brain? Is it in the skin? Is it in the gut? Is it in the joints? So it's kind of the weakest link is where it ends up expressing itself. But at the root of autoimmune conditions, you can do a lot of the same healing things, which is actually kind of cool if you think about it. Yeah, that's why you hear in functional medicine, we're always talking about root cause, but it's actually root causes because it's very unlikely for there only to be one root cause. And this is sort of our motivation. I don't know if you've seen our Instagram posts. We're trying to do a weekly post about the hidden causes of X. And it's a, it's a new thing every week. But you'll see over time that all of the hidden causes are actually, they repeat themselves. A lot of it is the same stuff because they're all fundamental to our metabolic processes. Inflammation, yeah. like you got blood sugar. It all, like Renee said, will add up in your body and it just like pokes out however it wants to. And that's why we see it express it differently in different bodies. So one, two, three people could have all separate diseases, illnesses, expressions, but the root causes are all the same. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. That's why you always have to cover the basics no matter what. Yeah. 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 So how do we do this? Where do we begin? Anti-inflammatory diet. You kind of mentioned that. Um, yeah. I'm a very big fan of the uh, autoimmune protocol. So kind of taking the paleo diet, making it a little bit stricter, very, very anti-inflammatory. I'm a big fan of that one but very strict. So you haven't, if you haven't dipped your toe in the water, probably start with a basic anti-inflammatory, right? Yes. Yes. It is a little extreme to just jump on board there, but, but keep in mind, it's not forever. Like I would never do the autoimmune protocol for a long time. It's very short term just to be healing therapeutic, mm -hmm. use it as much as you need. But yeah, I mean, anti-inflammatory diet, I know we, we've talked about this in other episodes, there's kind of two components. Number one is including anti-inflammatory foods. So certain healthy fats, things high in omega-3s, antioxidants, nutrient-dense foods, but then also avoiding the inflammatory foods, right? Especially the toxic oils. I feel like we say this a million times over again, but no canola oil, vegetable oils. Vegetable oils do not have vegetables in them. <laughs> super toxic. I think, wouldn't you say that's the most inflammatory food? Vegetable oils. Probably. Yeah. It actually but people gets, still have this association. They hear vegetable and they say, oh, that's so much better than a saturated fat that's from an animal product or like a lard. Right. It's, there's nothing healthy about it. Yeah. Yeah. Remember saturated fat, it means it's more, a more stable fat which is, I mean, obviously you want to be careful depending on your genetics, how many, how much saturated fat you're getting, but a more yeah. stable fat means it's not going to be, you know, rancid by, by cooking it, by light, by heat, all of these things versus vegetable oils are very sensitive to all of that. So it ends up going toxic and becoming rancid very easily. And yeah, then that gets I think they're well-intentioned, right? I think the vegetable oils are like, we want to do good, <laughs> yeah, but they yeah. just can't tolerate the processing that these uh, manufacturing companies are putting them through. So they, they essentially just break down and become rancid. Right. Right. And that rancid oil then becomes part of your cell membrane. And, you know, when we're looking at what it's really doing, I'll never forget when I first heard this. The, especially canola oil, we have seen in research that it can affect your cell membrane for about 90 days. So if you had canola oil on January 1st, that's affecting you at a cellular level for about three months, potentially versus something like sugar. We all know sugar's bad, right? But you eat it. And in a couple of days, hopefully you've kind of bounced back from that. Right. But when mm -hmm. we're looking at cellular level health, 
I mean, these oils are really, really bad. I mean, you want a strong cell membrane because that is how the nutrients are getting into your cell and toxins are getting out. And when we have kind of a rigid cell membrane, like picture your cells, right? Go back to high school, (laughs) high school biology, right? When these membranes are rigid, things can't get in and out the way they need to. Well, just sounds disturbing, right? Yeah. We want to be flexible. Flexible and fluid, like omega-3 <laughs> fatty acids. Yes. Exactly. I had another thought in there, but I lost it. Sorry, because I went off on a tangent. <laughs> it's okay. I'll I'll interject if it comes back to me. Okay. Um, we have to control blood glucose, right? So that blood sugar roller coaster is going to lead to more inflammation. Uh, Dr. Casey Means, who was on our podcast a couple of times in season three, she does a great job explaining what that blood sugar roller coaster is doing for, you know, inflammation, uh, metabolic health, so many processes in the body. So we definitely want to look at that uh, as a foundational part of this. Yeah. I think that is grossly overlooked. So many people are not testing their blood sugar because for so long, it's just been a thing that diabetics do that not a healthy population does, but you know, there's a transition from being healthy to diabetics. So What's happening in between there? We really, this is like a very important preventative measure. We have to be looking at glucose before it turns into this. It is reversible, but it's going to make it much, much harder for you. We post a lot about blood glucose. And just yesterday I was posting on Instagram. I had some weird experiments over the weekend and I had someone comment, a client of mine was like, oh, I'm so surprised to see that you have spikes. It's like, well, we all have spikes, especially if we're going to experiment. I try to not experiment too much because I don't want to wreak havoc on my metabolic system. But every now and then it's like, okay, I need to know about this food just in case. We all have spikes. I think if you think you don't, you just haven't tested yet. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. The testing is so key. Scary. It's scary to think what you're probably doing to your body and you're just not ever seeing. So if you have not experimented with blood sugar testing, please, please. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I really liked your experimentation posts over the weekend. So what did you learn? Was it the pancakes? Um, Pancake batter? I think it just happened to be the combination of ingredients. So it was a whole wheat flour. It was, there were gluten in the pancakes, which I try to sprinkle in here and there because I don't want my body to completely forget gluten because we know what that's like when you completely go off of it and then accidentally eat it. It's like, Oh, everything hurts. Yes. (laughs) So I'm always trying to prevent that by just like choosing the cleanest ingredients or the cleanest source of gluten that I can and and intentionally eating it. So it was an organic non-GMO pancake mix, but it was from whole wheat flour. Mm. I think it was just the combination of ingredients. So yeah, no good. Yeah. It didn't matter when I changed the macro. So the second time around, I added more protein, more fat, which we know protein and fat slow down those spikes, but in this case, it didn't make a difference. It was more about the actual ingredients. Yeah. Wow. Test don't guess. (laughs) Wild. Yeah. So we have some supplements that are helpful. Make sure they are high quality. We will provide some links to supplements that we trust and recommend, but always, um, It's a great idea to consult with your doctor and make sure you're just doing your research about what these are, but curcumin, great for quelling inflammation. I love this one, a proteolytic enzyme. So a systemic enzyme. I know you've heard about enzymes for digestion, but there are enzymes for every metabolic process in the body. Our body is made of enzymatic processes and we lose our enzymes over time. So a proteolytic or systemic enzyme is really great for inflammation. So if you're dealing with an injury or pain, it's going to go where it needs to go. Yeah. So simply by taking this, it's, you know, when we put on a cream on a certain part of our body, it's going to go right to that local area. When you take a systemic enzyme, it's going to go where that energy is needed. Sorry. Oh no, I was going to just add with the proteolytic enzymes, very helpful to take away from food because like you said, it'll go where it needs to go. So sometimes if you actually have proteolytic enzymes too close to a meal, it'll, it'll help you break down the protein in the food, which like, okay, that's, great, but that's not what we're trying to do here. So do it, try, you know, between breakfast and lunch or lunch and dinner on an empty stomach. And then it will, it'll really target what you're trying to break down in the body. Cool. Yeah. I'll let you finish these out. Yeah. A couple other things. I mean, glucosamine, probably a lot of people have heard of that. MSM, omega-3s, again, those are very very anti-inflammatory fats. 
And I just wanted to add two products. And we like to be careful about sharing certain products, but these are two that I have worked with a lot and I've had really good experience with them. Designs for Health makes two called ArthroSoothe Supreme, which has a bunch of those ingredients in it. So the glucosamine, MSM, quercetin, uh, green-lipped muscle extract, really cool research on that for arthritis. Yes. So from muscles? From muscles. Yeah. Seafood muscles, not seafood. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So if you are vegan, vegetarian, I guess you would reconsider taking this product. But I just like that it puts everything at a very high dose into one product. So you don't have to take five different things. And then the other one from them, Designs for Health Arthroben, uh, it's actually a powder. It's actually a medical grade product. It's super, super powerful. But what it does is it provides the key building blocks for cartilage, ligaments, your skin. Um, It has collagen peptides. Again, really good research on arthritis. And I have seen it make a tremendous uh, change for people in a couple of days. Oh, wow. With arthritis. So it's really going right into the joint and, and it's actually healing. It's not just getting rid of the inflammation and pain, right? Like maybe an NSAID would. It's actually helping to rebuild the building blocks that you need to help with that issue. Cool. So big fans of both Love of that. those. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have collagen and bone broth, which are building blocks. So we're actually taking the yeah. amino acids that build a protein So if you have damage to joints, we can actually rebuild that matrix to strengthen your joints. It will rebuild collagen, strengthen the joints, and quell the inflammation. Um, Quality matters here. Check the show notes. Anything else about that? Hmm. If you have any questions about any of those, let us know. Love bone broth. I know we already talked about it for traveling here. It's great for pain arthritis. Um, Our favorite red light love the red light. <laughs> red light is incredible. I, my left knee is like my trouble spot, I would say. And anytime it just flares up a little bit, I put my red light on there and it's just like immediate relief. It kind of blows yeah. my mind every time. Yeah. I have some trouble spots right now, my shoulder and you can feel things moving around. You can immediately feel the circulation increase, which was what we want when we're trying to heal inflammation, the circulation and blood flow to bring blood flow to that area to enact the healing process. And that does happen very quickly. Yeah. So love the red light. (laughs) And then just make sure you're hydrated. I don't know. This is such a simple one, but I think it's overlooked sometimes. Make sure you're getting quality hydration. Just because you're drinking your 80 to 100 ounces of water a day doesn't mean that you're necessarily hydrated. Are you absorbing that water? What kind of water are you putting into your body? Maybe you need to add a pinch of sea salt or some minerals. Um, Renee and I love uh, isotonic, which is basically a sea water. You'll get all of your minerals, electrolytes that the ocean would provide. Um, It's assimilated really well into the body. And that hydration is going to lubricate your joints. So if we're talking about inflammation and pain around the joints, you're just kind of smoothing that out, making it a little, um, a little more slippery, I guess, kind of like greasing. Yeah. That's a good way to think of it. Yeah. Peptides are another option. This is difficult to get right now, but not impossible. (laughs) Peptides are also proteins or amino acids that stimulate, um, HGH and they encourage healing. I've had great success with BPC-157 for my ankle injury. If you're dealing with an injury or arthritis, um, we can give you more information about that. Yeah. I would say if you're you're trying to find someone in your area that does peptide therapy, the International Peptide Society, IPS, really good way to find someone. But I believe uh, BPC-157 is one of the few peptides that you can actually take in capsule form and, and people are still getting benefit, right? Versus most peptides you do need to inject. Yeah, I've heard the results are not nearly what they are with the injection. Obviously, yeah. you have to go through the digestive process, but right. yeah, it's an option. If, yeah. you can't get, if you can't get the real deal. Yeah. And then lastly, do not take NSAIDs. Ah, uh, don't take them. <laughs> so you're turning off the body's immune response and it's causing leaky gut. So if you have rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis, you, it's, you potentially created the arthritis by taking the NSAIDs in the first place. So don't keep adding fuel to the fire. You're just going to keep, it's going to be a never ending cycle of pain and inflammation. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. More on leaky gut soon. I don't want to spend too much time here, but yeah, (laughs) that's probably a whole episode. Yeah. Okay. So that's arthritis (laughs) in a nutshell. So hopefully that, that helps answer. Of course, if you have more questions, let us know. We have a brief interruption in today's episode to share with you an amazing tool that we use for measuring our blood glucose levels called the Keto Mojo. We know that bioindividuality has become quite a buzzword these days. That is because we all have very unique nutrition requirements. To determine if you are eating the right types of food, as well as the right portions and timing of those foods, testing blood glucose and ketones is the fastest and most efficient way. We believe that tracking and managing these markers helps to optimize food metabolism, weight management, and many of the risk factors involved in cardiovascular and metabolic disease. Until continuous glucose monitors are readily available to a healthy population, this is your best bet. We encourage you to head over to ketomojo.com to take advantage of our 15% off your first meter. The link for this discount can be found in today's show notes. So someone asked about biohacking for families kind of like married versus single, you know, versus being a family unit. Um, I'm hoping we answer this correctly. We had a couple of thoughts about this because we've definitely experienced over the years. I mean, uh, you know, I've been married 10 years, but when I first met my husband, he was not into holistic health or biohacking, you know? So I think just if I can chime in on having a spouse that's maybe not interested in biohacking and you are, my number one thing is, do not push it on the other person. I think when they are ready, it will happen. And I get this question a lot from people. They're like, how did you get your husband into it? I seriously just did my own thing. And over time he has changed his habits. You know, when I first met him, he was eating, eating Subway and staying up till 2am doing whatever. And now he's eating all organic with me. He's fasting overnight. He wears his blue light blockers. Like it's really kind of cute to see how many changes he's made over the years. So, I mean, you that's led by been, example though, right? Led by example. Yes. I think whether it really, whether you're married or dating, you have children you're trying to influence or family members. I think you just always have to lead by example. And then, and then when they are ready for it, they will be there to ask you questions. Yeah. That, I feel like that kind of came up with Angela Foster when we did our three-way conversation with her. Yeah, with her kids. Um, with her kids. She didn't, inf- she's not pushing it on her kids because I don't, kids don't really need to be biohacking, but it's cool for them to learn about these practices. But, you know, mommy was doing them and they became curious because they were watching her do it. And eventually they got more and more curious. And then next thing you know, it's like, I want to take a cold shower. I want to go on the sauna. (laughs) Yeah. Also, our friend Melissa, her little boy. Oh, he's he's so cute. He's a natural biohacker. Yeah, he does his cold plunge in the pool in the morning. And she, I don't think really like talked about it. He was just like, it feels really good. I like waking up and doing it. (laughs) And then he's also, yeah, he's also naturally fasting a little bit. And he, and I, I know fasting for kids can be a little scary and dangerous. Like I'm not saying please make your children fast. But he, he is naturally eating such a nutrient-dense, high-quality diet throughout the day, like two or three big meals, some healthy snacks, that he's just naturally fasting overnight. And in the morning, he tells his mom, like, okay, I'm done. I'm ready to eat now. Like, he's already listening to his body at four years old. So cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Super healthy kids. Amazing. Yeah. So I guess to finish this question, I'm curious... So I'll, I'll provide my perspective. I'm single, not married, but I have a boyfriend. I don't know if the question is geared more towards the difference between with a partner or completely without a partner. Yeah. Obviously, if you are single, don't have anyone in your life, there could be some advantages here, right? There, You don't have to make any compromises. You can essentially do whatever you want. But I do think there's a piece where you could miss out on the benefits of having support, accountability, and also just like the emotional benefits of having someone around like love, touch. Um, so I think if you don't have that person in your life, find a biohacking friend. There's someone out there. If you yeah. can't find them, we'll be your biohacking friend. We'll do it with you. Yeah. But I do think like whoever that person is in your life, you can't force it on them. Like just let them naturally build that curiosity because if you are doing it and you're like, the joy is going to be very obvious. The benefits are going to be very obvious. 
So just keep doing your thing and lead by example. I think that's probably the best advice. Right. Right. And I will, I will add another thing. If you are with, if you're living with someone that's not into biohacking, you know, I think there does have to be some compromise, you know, don't get so set on your biohacking things, you know, like for example, you know, I want to be in bed by 10. I want to be asleep. I don't want to wake up until morning. Right. (laughs) But sometimes my husband's, he's up an hour later than me. So when he gets into bed, it wakes me up a little bit and I could easily be like, ah, he's ruining my sleep. Right. You know, but no, I mean, I love him and we have a great marriage and I want him around, you know? So like, just don't be so uh, set in your ways. I think have some flexibility. And the cool thing about biohacking is you're really just upgrading everything. So any improvement is going to have benefit. And actually before we actually, no, I'm sorry. After we got this question sent in, I had someone message me yesterday on Instagram and she was asking, what do I do? My husband wants to sleep with the TV on all night. Oh, Oh no. Yeah. And she just can't convince him. And so, you know, my recommendation was, well, one, do you have sleep trackers? Like I said, you definitely need a sleep tracker. Maybe you can get him on board for something, an Apple watch, an aura ring, something simple, just so he Mm -hmm. can maybe be more aware of what it's doing. But I said, in the meantime, you need some good like earplugs and eye mask, you know, do everything that you can. And then as your energy is soaring and you're sleeping better, you know, maybe the other person will be like, oh, okay, maybe there's something to it. Yeah. I think just share research, share articles. Sometimes the information coming out of your mouth is not as powerful as seeing a, not that you're not reputable, but a reputable source (laughs) on paper from like a publication or a different professional. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I have some family and friends where sometimes I just have to show them like, you know, a study from the Cleveland clinic to prove my point. Yeah. You're saying the same thing, but they believe them and not you. It's like, right. That's just (laughs) the name of the game. Yep. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, hopefully that helps you fellow biohackers out there. Yeah. Next up. CGMs. Oh, so many. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) It always comes back to this. All right. So we're talking about glucose moderate monitoring. A CGM is a continuous glucose monitor. That means you have a, a very, very tiny, it's, it's barely a needle, very, very miniature needle in your arm. That's constantly monitoring your blood glucose. Here's some ways you can get your hands on one. NutriSense and Levels are the two main companies out there for anyone that's considered healthy. If you're not diabetic, this is how you can get them. Levels, we have our Biohacker Babes code and the link is in the show notes if you want to skip the wait list. They are going to become just easier and easier to get um, as time goes on. So yeah, even I, if you're not I'm already hearing, yeah, I'm already but, hearing that people are finding it easier to get from their doctors. Awesome. Even if they're not diagnosed with a condition. Progress. Yes. They are a little bit expensive. So I would say it's worth the expense. If you can invest in it just for one month, just for four weeks and just dive head, head in. What? At first. Dive in head first. Be careful. (laughs) I did dive in head first and I hit my head. Okay. (laughs) Dive in head first and just learn as much as possible in those four weeks. So uh, there have been times where like I've had a, a continuous supply. So sometimes I'm not always tracking my food, but if you're going to have it for four weeks, just be really diligent, get the most out of it. You can, you can learn a lot in four weeks. You can learn a lot in one week. Yeah. And if that is not feasible, start with a keto mojo. So this is a finger prick that will test your glucose and your ketones, which we know they work inversely. So the lower your glucose, the higher your ketones, vice versa. And if you get a CGM, you really should also have a keto mojo or some sort of finger prick as well, because the CGMs are not hundred percent accurate. There's no way around it. We're hoping that they're going to become more and more accurate, but right now there is some deviation and their specificity. So if you have a finger prick, it's a great way just to double check. I know that happens a lot with me. I'm like, this doesn't quite seem right. Let me check it. And then so sometimes this is problematic because you're like, oh, I don't want to trust the CGM now. It was wrong. But the trends are always going to be valuable. So even if the actual number is not correct, you can still watch the trends of how your glucose rises and falls around meals. So even if it's not 100% accurate, uh, still really valuable. Yeah. I, and I will say with the four weeks, 
you know, if you can get levels, they do a really good job walking you through the four weeks, right? They have like videos and articles and guides day by day, what to do. They even will do a complimentary call, complimentary, Mm -hmm. it's included (laughs) a call (laughs) to just be like, Hey, what's going on? What have you learned? How, how else can we help? So it, I think it's really worth the, the one month. And then, yeah, I mean, Keto Mojo is amazing, but it's not, it's really not expensive, but if you need to go even cheaper, like you said, just a basic glucose monitor, it's like 20 bucks at CVS. And, you know, just starting with fasting glucose first thing in the morning before you eat anything, one hour after a meal and two hours after a meal, you can still learn so much just from doing that. And it's really inexpensive. Yeah. So the fasting morning glucose will be your baseline. And then one hour after a meal, you really want to be coming back down to that baseline or at least close to it. And then the two hours is sort of like, let's double check. Are we already back down? You should definitely be back down after the two hours. Right. Right. Yeah. So there All right. Go. Let's talk a little bit more about glucose and we're going to transition into fasting. We mentioned this earlier. So, okay. Insulin resistance and diabetes are basically at the root of all disease. So this is a blood sugar dysregulation and a dysregulation of insulin, which is a a hormone. It's a fat storage hormone. And when these, the hormones and the blood sugar gets out of whack, we create inflammation in the body. So that could lead to arthritis. That could lead to um, metabolic syndrome. That could lead to you not being able to accomplish any of your fitness nutrition goals because at the root, your metabolic processes are completely shit. Sorry. Shit. (laughs) Now I'm going to have to label this episode as explicit. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Check that box. Crap. Crap. (laughs) Okay. So fasting is one of the best ways to strengthen your glucose and insulin response. So we want them to be strong. We want them to be stable and steady. Um, so if you're traveling, try fasting. If you're at home, maybe you start to try one day a week. I would say if you haven't tried fasting intermittent and start with short windows, I know we've talked about this before. We'll link uh, the episodes where we've talked about fasting previously, but fasting doesn't really encourage fat loss or body composition changes. There's a lot of research out here that's completely inconclusive. I think people think, oh, if I fast, then my body's going to change. I'm going to lose fat. That's not actually what it's doing. We're working at a cellular level to increase energy by charging up the mitochondria. We get some, depending on how long you fast, we get some autophagy, which is like damaged cells dying off. And then we also get, this is what I'm getting to, we get an enhanced blood sugar response or a more healthy blood sugar response. So if you're really struggling with this, with these spikes or or dips or feeling like you're getting anxious, getting that, uh, what is Dave Asprey calling it? Uh, glyco, glyco bitchy. Oh yeah, glyco. Hypoglybitchy. Hypoglybitchy. It's a mouthful. Yeah. Fasting can be really helpful for that. But um, a a lot of do's and don'ts, a lot of contraindications here. Renee, you want to lead this? Yeah. Well, I think before I jump into that, just something else, like you said about the weight loss, it is somewhat inconclusive. I think one of the big, maybe one of the bigger links to why it could help with weight loss is I think at the end of the day, you know, we do see weight loss when we are restricting calories, right? You know, weight loss is not just calories in, calories out. It's what kind of calories, what's going on hormonally, sleep, exercise. There's so many other factors, but a calorie deficit is helpful. And I think when people are doing time-restricted eating or feeding, it's easier for them to restrict their calories, right? Mm -hmm. When you have a 24-hour window and it's a free-for-all versus a 12-hour or 10-hour window, you know, you can only eat so much in those hours. So I, I wonder how much of that is impacting the research. Does that make sense? That, and also I think when people are fasting, they're just more mindful of what they're eating. So potentially you are seeing some changes, but it's probably just because you dialed everything in and started paying attention. Right. Kind of like when people say, oh, I went vegetarian and lost weight. Yeah. It's like, but maybe you just cut out the fried foods and the sugar, yeah. you added more vegetables and you started meditating. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's a good point. Yeah. Maybe fasting. It's also just that health conscious mindset that is impacting other things. So yeah. interesting. 
Um, I think where this goes wrong is that if you fast for too long, which is why we advise just start out small, listen to your body and just go to your tolerance. If you go beyond tolerance, then you can actually really ramp up your ghrelin levels. That's the hormone that tells you like, I'm hungry. If you fast for too long, you're going to get this rebound effect of ghrelin. And then when you break your fast, you're just like insatiable. It's like, you don't even know when to stop eating because uh, the opposite of ghrelin is leptin. That's your satiety hormone. So the more your ghrelin goes up, the more your leptin goes down. So you're insatiable eating. You can't stop. And there's no leptin to tell you you're full. Stop eating. So that's potentially an outcome that would be disadvantageous. So you think you're getting the benefits from fasting, but then it all goes to crap when you start eating. You already said the word, so (laughs) just go for it now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, how, how are you ending the fast is, is very important. So who should fast? I mean, that's a bigger category than who shouldn't fast. So maybe I should start with who shouldn't fast. I would say, you know, anyone that is, uh, underweight, not appropriate to be fasting. Anyone that has a history of an eating disorder. I think, I mean, that's can be debatable. We, you know, we both have struggled with issues there, but just be mindful of that. Cause sometimes it can bring back some of that for people. And then anyone that's under a high amount of stress, we talk about this a lot, right? Fasting is just another stressor. It's a good stressor. It's causing that hormesis that we love so much. But if you're under a lot of stress, now's not the time. Let's wait until we can calm things down to do that. Yeah. If your stress bucket is already full, there's no be room mindful. for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, so who should fast? I mean, really anyone else can be fasting, but I think it's important to set a goal. Well, what are you looking to achieve by fasting? Why are you fasting? What's the driver? What's the motivation behind it? I think it's really important to look at those because there are so many benefits from fasting, but if you don't really know what you're going for, then what are you doing? Like yeah, exactly. we were talking about this on the phone yesterday. Like my, my driver for fasting, I fast 12 to 14 hours every night. And for me, it's really for digestion. Mm -hmm. I just want to give my digestive system a long break where it can just chill out and not do anything. (laughs) That's what I'm going for, right? I'm not, I'm not doing it for weight loss. I mean, I am doing a little bit for brain function, right? We do see a lot of cognitive benefits, especially with Alzheimer's running in our family. I'm always being really mindful of anything I can do for brain health and there's benefit there. Yeah. And I'm really doing it for my blood glucose response. I track it with my CGM and I have amazing results from fasting. My blood sugar is so stable. You would think, oh, you're not eating. Your glucose is going to drop. I don't know. It could just be me. I'm sure I'm not alone, but this is why it's so personal. You got to check in. You got to look at the data. But for me, it is so steady throughout the day. And I'm seeing long-term changes from that, which is incredible. That's great, Lauren. That's great. Yeah, I think- we didn't say this. I hope this is obvious, but if you're pregnant, you should be not, not be fasting. Yes. Pregnant or breastfeeding. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for chiming that in. Oh, I was so, going to say the, the fear also of your blood sugar dropping too low. Remember that a lot of times that hypoglycemic reaction, it's, it can be a rebound because your blood sugar was too high. So like you said, if you're eating a really healthy, balanced, nutrient-dense diet all day long, you're keeping more steady levels versus you, you know, you eat that cupcake and it spikes up and then it drops. And that's where you're getting that hypoglycemic reaction. So it's that rebound yeah. that's more dangerous than just Yeah. And I think that's why we get into this place where mo- most people think, oh, I need to keep snacking to keep my blood sugar up. Like I feel hypoglycemic or anxious or <laughs> like I'm going to pass out. It's because what the hell did you eat before? If you're eating quality protein, fat, not eating processed sugars, rancid oils, your blood sugar is not going to have that spike and drop. Yeah. Yeah. And and that brings up another idea, but you know, I think people are like anti-breakfast now because the fasting movement is so big. Don't be against breakfast. I think you can still have a really good fast. You know, if anything, maybe skip dinner have breakfast, have lunch and skip dinner versus skipping breakfast, having lunch and dinner. So look at the timing of your meals, but also if your breakfast is really balanced, I don't think it's going to set you up for that blood sugar roller coaster throughout the day. I think it just, people are going from eating cereal, muffins, and bagels to breakfast to not having breakfast and they're doing better. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, 
because you went from a crazy spike first thing in the morning. Try a really high protein and fat, low carb breakfast and see how you feel. Yeah. So debatable about to breakfast or not break fast. (laughs) It's called break fast. Isn't that? Yeah. That how who who actually made up that word break fast, break fast. Oh, how did it turn to breakfast? Why do why do we not call it break fast? <laughs> no, no, no. Go- I mean, even just like breakfast. Someone said, "Oh, we're breaking our fast. Let's call it breakfast." Right? Someone must have. I think break fast just didn't roll off the tongue. I'm not sure. If you have an answer, please write in. <laughs> I, I think it might be a little triggering to tell people to not eat dinner, but I think this kind of fits in with our circadian rhythm a little more smoothly, you know, not eating after the sun has gone down. So eating your breakfast, eating your lunch. And if you're going to skip a meal, it actually would be more beneficial to skip your dinner, but not if that costs you community, social time with loved ones or friends, if that's going to send you into a biohacking corner where you're all alone because you can't enjoy anything with anybody, don't do that. But maybe you can encourage your family to eat just a little bit earlier. Just like keep nudging it a little bit earlier. Yeah. Or maybe if you're all on board, then eating a big lunch and calling it a day. Right. Yeah. I think family and community are are more important than that. And I really appreciate what Ben Greenfield says about this. Like he admits to eating dinner, like eight or nine at night sometimes. And you would think, oh my gosh, why is he doing that? But for him, that is the most precious family time that he gets with his wife and his kids. And he does everything he can to support his body in other ways to allow for that later meal, because that's more important. So I love that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You have to just make your own rules and you have to, I think if you understand the why, then you can make your own rules and you can make it work for you. Exactly. Yeah. Just one more thing I want to tack on about fasting. I know it's really scary for a lot of people because we've been conditioned to think that we have to eat to be able to get through our day. So that's sort of built into this survival mechanism. Like we are wired, our biology is wired to eat when there's food. But now like in in modern day, we're surrounded by food. Like there's, we don't have to go hunting and foraging for food. We open the cabinet and there's food. And that's why we eat all the time. That's why we're snacking all the time because we're wired to eat when there's food. So I think when you think about fasting, our this like survival mechanism kicks in, like our cortisol ramps up because we are fearful that we're not going to survive. But yeah. I don't know. I think that's like an evolutionary, maybe like a mismatch wiring. Or you know, we've evolved to the point where we're safe enough. Most of us have food. Luckily, gratefully. Um, so I would just try to challenge that. And if you're feeling triggered or feeling that emotional piece come up where you're like, oh, I'm starving, like I, I'm not gonna be able to, I don't know. Take a breath, maybe try to meditate and we'll send you more research if you really need more research, but you're you're probably gonna be okay. Yeah. The body has adaptive mechanisms built in. Yeah. I actually think one really interesting thing is. For pregnant women, yeah, we said pregnant women shouldn't be fasting, but it's interesting that when you are pregnant, your body has really high levels of HCG, which is the human chorionic gonadotropin hormone, which tells your body when you're pregnant to tap into fat reserves to get fuel and calories to feed the baby. So if you are pregnant and you're in a famine, like the body knows how to tap into the reserves. I think that's really cool. That is really cool. So if the rest of us really needed that, we would have adapted to have a similar. Mechanism. I would think so. Yeah. Right. Humans have been around just a few years. Just a few. <laughs> Great. All right. Let's wrap that up. Last final topic. Final question. Yes. Okay. Circadian rhythm, vitamin D and sunlight. Three topics, but they kind of all work together. They're right? all related. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number one, get our jet lag ebook. If you go to <laughs> plug, 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 uh, the biohackerbabes.com. It is a free ebook all about, well, we call it the jet lag ebook, but remember jet lag is not just traveling across time zones. We can have something called social jet lag. And that is maybe where you stayed up too late on a Saturday night with friends. Then you're wanting to sleep in Monday morning and that alarm's going off and you just can't get back onto that weekly or daily cycle. So you don't even have to be socializing. I guess we need a third term that's not yeah. social jet lag because you could be alone and still be screwing up your circadian rhythm just by going to bed at different times or waking up at different times. Right, right. 
So I guess let me back up. So basic. So circadian rhythm, this is our body's internal clock. It runs on about a 24-hour cycle, very similar to the sun, but we really want to honor this. So like you were saying, you want to go to bed at the same time. You want to wake up at the same time every day. I know people hate when I say this because they want to sleep in on the weekends, but 20 minutes is kind of a good window. You know, you can shift about 20 minutes and your body won't hate you too much, but definitely try and get those consistent sleep-wake times. So where sunlight comes in. So sunlight right? We, if we look at the sun and the moon, also a 24-hour cycle, very convenient. So the sun helps us to start our circadian rhythm for the day, kind of wake up, increases that cortisol flow for the day. Um, really good way to signal to your brain, let's do it. <laughs> so honoring that rhythm, also getting sunlight throughout the day, right? I mean, humans evolved being outside. So we were getting sun all day. Sun was going down. We were sleeping. We were inside in our caves or whatever in the dark. So just staying on that, on that rhythm, but then also sunlight brings in vitamin D. Everyone's talking about vitamin D right now, especially through the winter. It's good for immune function and so many other things in the body. We can get vitamin D from the sun for most of the year, depending on where you live. (laughs) And we really like the app D minder. So if you're not sure if you can get vitamin D from the sun this time of year, download this free app. It'll help you just kind of guide you to see if you can even get the vitamin D. If not, oh gosh, I'm like going down a vitamin D rabbit hole. If you can't get it from the sun, you do want to test and maybe even supplement, but that's another, another story. And eat vitamin D rich foods. We don't always have to turn immediately to a supplement really helpful, especially in the winter time, but you can get it from foods. Right. Right. So butter, a little bit from mushrooms, organ meats, so yeah. I would so, say those are the top three. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I definitely test because you can get too much vitamin D. I think people don't realize that. You can actually have toxic levels of vitamin D. So big fan of testing. We don't know too many people with that problem. <laughs> too many. One at the top of my head. Um more I, likely that you're deficient. <laughs> more, yes, definitely more likely. Like I think I can name like five people in my lifetime that I have I've seen vitamin D toxicity versus hundreds with very low vitamin D. Yeah. But again, tests don't guess. What else? What else about circadian rhythm? What else can we answer? Well, I think just one way to find out or to discern if you have any circadian rhythm disruption would be to look at your energy levels in the morning. Is it really hard for you to get out of bed? Are you hitting the snooze alarm over and over again? You know, we should be able to wake up without an alarm. Obviously, it's a great backup just in case you really have to be somewhere but you shouldn't feel fatigued in the morning. Fatigue in the morning is a sign that there's something out of balance. And I think resetting our circadian rhythm is the best checkpoint. I think you should just do that, get the sunshine in the morning, get that out of the way. If you still have fatigue, then we can keep uh, going through deeper layers to, to determine if there's another problem there. But if you have fatigue in the morning, your circadian rhythm is probably not functioning optimally. So just make sure you're getting that morning sunlight it's really important within 30 minutes of waking because that is going to stimulate your CAR, which is your cortisol awakening response. And that's a really good indicator of how you're going to be able to handle stress throughout your day. So you want that to rise. Cortisol rises in the morning and then it slowly tapers off throughout the day. So if you're not getting that cortisol spike, you're going to feel tired. You're not going to feel so great when you wake up. Um, cortisol is actually really protective. It's anti-inflammatory. So we've all felt that where it's like you, maybe if you're getting sick, you feel, you just feel really out of it in the morning, you know, maybe a little groggy, your nose is stuffy, maybe you have pain, but as soon as that cortisol rises, at least it should, then those things kind of subside. That's kind of a natural effect. I think we've all felt at least within the hour, but you really want that to optimize within 30 minutes. Right. And that's why a lot of people use coffee in the morning because it snaps them out of it. Yeah, it gets the cortisol up. But (laughs) but you're right. You your body should be able to do that without the coffee. Yeah, right. Try and use some sunshine instead. Yeah, I've seen the morning sunshine really work wonders for clients that are just having that afternoon energy slump. They're working from home. They have kids, and it's like by three or four, you really need that nap. You're feeling stressed. And it's kind of magical how just five minutes in the sun, I've seen it so many times. It's, it's crazy how quickly it happens. Yeah. I mean, Um, you can feel the difference immediately. And if you're on the other end of the spectrum, if you're having sleep issues, like insomnia, trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, 
it could be a lack of sunlight in the morning that's causing mm-hmm. your sleep troubles. Yeah. Yeah. We often mm-hmm. overlook that. We think nighttime is separate from mornings. What yeah. It's that? kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a reflection of what you did all day. Yeah. Right. And especially it's your you know, summary. It's your, your day's summary. Yeah. Cool. Oh, Get our jet lag ebook. Love you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so those are our questions this time around. Keep sending them. Uh, we'll do more Q and A's. This is kind of a fun grab bag situation where we can knock out a lot of birds with one stone. We really enjoy this. And um, Renee, it's really fun to do this back and forth to hear. Sometimes we have totally different experiences and perspectives. So yeah, that's really cool. So engage in this conversation with us, right back to us, give us feedback, start this conversation with your friends, family, loved ones. We just want this biohacking movement to seep into er- every area of your life. Yes. <laughs> that's our goal. Yeah. This was fun. Lauren, I always learn from you every time we talk. It's Same. amazing. Yeah. Same. Great. So we have some really exciting news, something we're kicking off today. So we're going to be doing a giveaway and all you have to do to enter the giveaway is leave us a review on Apple podcasts within the next seven days. So you have until February 7th to leave us a review and you'll be entered into this week's giveaway. And we're going to hopefully be doing this every week, but to kick it off, you have seven days, leave us a review. We are so grateful and appreciative when you guys do this. It really helps to support what we're doing just to spread our mission around the world to get everyone to be their own biohacker and take responsibility for their health. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will announce the winner next week and we will get in touch then. Awesome. I second all of that. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time. Love this episode of the biohacker babes podcast head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking.